Hey, how are we doing today, South Point? It's great to see you. Hey, I want you to know, you have an incredible pastor, and uh, Pastor Scott and Pastor Jenny are, are fantastic. And um, there are a lot of people who minister together as leaders of a church, but very few of them are, as, uh, are both as competent and have as much capacity as Pastor Scott and Jenny. And so you guys, uh, I hope you understand how fortunate and how blessed you are to have them leading this body because it really is cool. They're a great couple and I love them. And I'm, I'm so honored to be with you today. Um, so thank you for being here. Uh, just let me just to build a little bit of rapport. Let me tell you a little bit about me. I lead a great church in Pennsylvania called uh, South Point. So called, uh, we're going to change the name to South Point now, uh, called Summit Church. And uh, we've been there about four years. I'm originally from Mustang. I grew up there. And uh, so I'm from this area. Um, uh, previously, before going to Pennsylvania, I was on staff at Victory Church in Oklahoma City, and so I still have good relationships there, and, uh, and I, I get back there once or twice a year to minister, and so uh, I love Oklahoma City, I love this area, and uh, it's good to be with you. I've been married, I've got a 15-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old daughter, and I've been married, it'll be 19 years this year, and I know what you're thinking, you look so young and fit, how could you possibly be married? Well, that's not very nice. How could you possibly been married almost 19 years? And how many of you believe that there's one, you know, we're in a series on relationships, but how many of you believe there's one perfect person made for you out there in the world? Does anybody believe that? I believe there's one perfect person for you. When I found my wife, I found that perfect person. I really believe that. Now, my prayer is that she never finds her perfect person because uh, <laughs> if she does, I'll be so sad. Uh, but... Uh, but it really is good to be with you today. Uh, today, I'm going to be wrapping up this series. I believe we're wrapping up the series today. But I'm going to be talking to you about the topic of healthy relationships. And, um, and, and healthy relationships can be something that's subjective as far as our point of view and what it means. Um, because if you maybe were raised in a household that was verbally or physical abu physically abusive, your view of what a healthy relationship is is dramatically different than someone who didn't grow up in that environment. Um, maybe for you, a healthy relationship is a lack of conflict. Maybe for you, a healthy relationship is um, that there's a lot of physical intimacy. Whatever it means uh, for you, there's def different definitions. And this is a core value of our church. And then it's also a core value of, of my family. And so this is something I pray over my daughters every day, even from when the time they were very, very young. Because I feel like if you can, if God can help you have healthy relationships in your life, it's going to help cut off so many issues and problems and challenges you may have. Uh, and so I've always, from the time they were very young, I've prayed over my girls that they would have healthy relationships. And um, when my girls, my, my oldest, Abby, she was in elementary school. My youngest was in preschool. And I was dropping them off for school one day. And I I'd prayed that prayer over them before I dropped them off. I would prayed for them and I included. And God, I pray that you'd help them have healthy relationships in your name. Amen. And so my oldest gets out of the car and I'm, I'm taking my youngest daughter to, to her preschool then. And we're driving along and uh, she says, Daddy, what does healthy relationships mean? And, you know, in her little like four-year-old voice. And so I go, okay, well, baby, here's what it means. And I give her this really in-depth, you know, theologically correct, you know, uh, explanation of what healthy relationships are. And then I said, does that make sense? She said, yeah. I just thought you wanted us to marry a vegetable. And I was like, no, no, I didn't, didn't want you to marry a vegetable. That's not what it means at all. Uh, 
So today, what I want us to do is just really walk through what it means to have a healthy relationship. So I'm going to give you some principles that I think you can apply. And I feel like these principles are, are applicable, whether it is a marriage relationship or if you're single, a dating relationship. Maybe it's just a friendship. Uh, it's applicable in your workplace. It's applicable in your family, with your kids, or maybe with siblings. But I also feel like it's applicable in the context of a church family. Because I know your pastor well enough to know he does not want this just to be a group of people that happen to come together once a week to sing some songs and hear him talk and then you go about your business. He wants this to be a, a group of people that share their lives intimately together, that, that we're more than just a group of people, we are family together. And there are a specific set of challenges for us as a church as we endeavor to have healthy relationships. So that's what I want us to walk through today. If you're a note taker, I know you've, you've got notes there in your bulletin that you can fill out. Uh, there's gonna be some things that you can fill in. We'll walk through all that together. Uh, our key passage for the day is from Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 36, and this is what it says. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And he says, Love the Lord God with everything you are. So he says, from the core of your being, you love God. So that means that, that, that God and church isn't something that we slot in whenever we have some free time, but it means that everything else slots in around God in our lives. So God says, that's the first thing. You love God with everything you are, and then you love your neighbors yourself. And this kind of goes along with uh, one of the values of your church, which is community and loving each other well. And, 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 and what we see here is Jesus makes it clear that these two things are related, that these two things are connected. How we love God impacts how we love others. Um, have, have, once in a while, someone will be in conflict with my daughters. They're teenagers now, or they're in the youth group, and so they're starting to get into like the girl teenage drama. I know nobody has that stuff in Oklahoma. It's only up north is that we have that. So here, everybody acts perfectly. Um, and, and I know if someone is in conflict with my daughter, it, it gets me kind of fired up. If I hear that somebody has mistreated my daughter, I, I can get fired up about that. And this is what I want you to know today. If you're in conflict with my daughter, you're in conflict with me. And I think our Heavenly Father feels the same way. So think about this for a moment. The person that you're in conflict with is a son or daughter of God. And if you're in conflict with them, you're in conflict with God. If you've got a problem with God's kids, you've got a problem with God. And you go, but I'm God's kid. Yes, you are. But you have to understand your relationship with others impacts your relationship with God. And, and so just understand that today. Um, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we know that um, of the ten, some of them deal specifically with how we relate to God, and then the rest deal with how we relate to others. And that's what this is all about. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. And Jesus says, if you do these two things, love God well and love others well, you don't have to worry about all the commandments. You don't have to worry about all the law and the prophets. In, in the Old Testament, there were over 600 thou shalt and thou shalt nots. Things you were supposed to do or things you were forbidden from doing. And Jesus says, if you will just love God really well and you'll love others really well, you won't have to worry about keeping the commandments because it's going to happen naturally as you love well. Does that make sense to anybody? By the way, I preach faster the more interactive you are. So if you want to get out of here quicker today, I'm just telling you. Some amens, that'll help once in a while. So thank you. Yeah, quick learners. Uh, the, the first thing I would tell you today, the first principle that I would tell you today in any relationship is that you seek unity. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And this word together is, is not just, it doesn't just mean that they were with someone, they had another human with them. Because have you ever gotten on an elevator and there was somebody got on the elevator with you? And, and you were in the elevator, but you weren't really together. Does that make sense? You're like, well, we just happen to be occupying the same space. And so what this passage is saying is there's a group of people that came together. They were very diverse they had different backgrounds, some of them had different ethnicities, and they all came together in one place. And they just weren't occupying the same space. The word that we see here uh, for together is homothumadon. And what it means is one fire or one passion. Um, and, and we see this all the time in our culture, we just don't call it that. Uh, I, I live in the Pittsburgh area. And are there any Steeler fans in here? A couple? Okay. I know this is cowboy country. I get it. I get it. Uh, someday the Cowboys may have as many championships as the Steelers. We'll see. But um, until then, I'm just, I'm sorry. I, I'm alienating the crowd right now. Um, so at a, at a Pittsburgh Steelers game, I've been to a few games. And when you go to a game, you look around and it is a sea of humanity, 65,000 people. Um, and you've experienced this. We're in OU country, right? So if you go to a game at, at, in Norman, you go to a football game and you see all these people and they are diverse, right? You show up and there's young and old and there's, there's people who have money and people who are just lucky to be getting in the game, right? And there's all kinds of people there. And when OU marches down the field and they score, what happens? People don't just go, oh, that's cool. People get excited, don't they? They're fired up. And, and I've seen people jump up and down. They're high-fiving people they've never seen before. I've been at sporting events where grown men were hugging other people that they didn't even know. They were celebrating together. Do you know what they were experiencing? Homothumadon. One passion, one fire. It's what united them together. And so what we have to understand is, although you might be different than the person you're in relationship with, you can still be in unity because there are things that unite you, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a friendship, or maybe with this point more specifically in a church. Because when we look across this church, there's things that are similar about us, but there are things that are totally different. And we get so focused on the things that are different at times, and that brings division to a body. It brings division to people. But when we focus on what we have in common, when we focus on the same fire and the same passion, what happens is it brings us together, it brings us unity. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is a picture of the New Testament church. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done, done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, we see this word again, together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, um, Pastor Scott wanted me to announce to you today that uh, South Point Church is starting a commune and we're selling all of our stuff and we're moving to a piece of property together, right? No, that's not going to happen. That is not what this passage of Scripture is talking about. But what it's talking about is it's describing a group of people who are very different that said, you know what, we're so excited about what God is doing. We're going to come together. We're going to share our lives together. And although you are different than me and maybe you've got more money than I've got, that's okay. We're coming together because we have the same passion and the same fire. Does that make sense? And it's incredible. If you look at the end of this passage, it says that they had all things in common. It says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So what was happening is they were doing this. They were coming together and they were sharing their lives. And they were saying, oh, you've got a need? Well, you don't have a need. I have a need. Because if we're the body, your need is my need. You can't afford to pay your rent this month? I'm going to take care of that for you. How incredible is that? 
oh, your child just got taken to the hospital and you don't have insurance? You know what? Our small group's going to come alongside you. We're going to help take care of that for you. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ this is. Don't all of us want to be a part of something like that? Where we can come together and we know we're, we're protected and taken care of, where we're looking out for each other? Because there's a big difference in this world between a crowd and an authentic community. In a crowd, when a crisis happens, people scatter and they're looking out for themselves. In authentic community, when crisis happens, people are looking out for each other. See, I'm a parent, and if, if I was ever in a situation where there was a shooting, I can guarantee you I would not be taken off and hoping my family did okay. The first thing I would do, I, was, I would cover my kids. Why? Because I care about their well-being. And this is what happens in authentic community. In authentic community, in godly community, we're looking out for each other instead of saying, man, that stinks, that's too bad. Somebody should help them with that. Because... We're in this together. We're unified. We're, we're covering each other. It says in verse 40, uh, 46 of this passage, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. And I, this is bonus coverage. But... I hear sometimes, Mel, why is church attendant? Is it really important to go to church? Do I have to be going to church to go to heaven? And I will say this. I don't think you have to go to church every Sunday to go to heaven. I, what I believe, though, is the model set for us in the New Testament is a model that we can apply to our lives. If it was important for the New Testament church to say, man, I want to I hear the word of God with the body of Christ, the people that I'm sharing my life with. I wanna, I wanna experience that with them. If it was good for them, I think it's good for us. The model we see here where it says they were breaking bread together. It means they were sharing meals together. You really get to know someone when you share a meal with them, when you take time to eat with them and talk and share your life. And this is the model we see in the New Testament. This is what they were doing. And all these things brought unity to what they were doing. And it wasn't because they were the same. It was because they had the same goal. They had the same passion. John 13, 35 says this, they'll know you're my disciples for your love one for another. Jesus says, hey, do you know how they're going to figure out that you're my followers? It's when you stop going to rated R movies. That's how everybody's going to know. That's not what he said. I've never bought a ticket for a movie and the, the person stopped me and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I noticed you didn't buy a rated R movie ticket. That's right. Can you tell me why? It's because I'm a Christian. Tell me more about this Jesus you serve, right? It's never happened. But in my community, I've had people stop me and go, hey, you're the pastor of that church, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm at the summit, yeah. Man, I've been hearing things about that church. Ah, man, people just love it there. What, what, is, what is going on? What is happening there? And all of a sudden, the door is open. And what's happened is we love each other well. We take care of each other. When crisis happens, we cover each other. And people go, I don't know what it is, but I, I want to be a part of something like that. The world knows, but they don't even know. They don't know what the secret sauce is, right? But they know they're attracted to it. See, the human body is not unified, is unified, but it's not uniform, right? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. We're not all a hand, thank God, right? That would be weird. We're just a hand. That's why the hamburger helper guy always kind of freaked me out when I was a kid. It was like, this hand has a face. That doesn't even make sense, right? 
So thank God we're not all a hand, but we're unified, aren't we? We work together. Our body has one purpose, to keep us alive, right? And every part of our body works and functions in that way for that one purpose, to keep us alive. And as the body of Christ in your family, you don't have to be the same, but you need to be unified. You need to be in unity. Uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture over the last year or two has been Amos 3.3. And it says, how can two people walk hand in hand if they're not going to the same place? And this is so liberating for me. In our church, there are people that will leave our church from time to time. And, I, and for me, I just have to go, you know what? They're not bad people. They're good people. God loves them just as much as they love me. It doesn't mean they're bad because they live my church. What it means is they just want to go a different direction than we're going. They, they've got a different vision. That's okay. That doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means we can't walk together. Does that make sense? There's people in your workplace that, that you wonder why you can't be yoked together because you're going different directions. How can you walk hand in hand? So this is why unity is important in the body. Then if we're going in the same way, we can walk hand in hand together. The second principle I'd tell you is that we have to prioritize principles over preferences. Now, preferences are just the things we like. Preferences are, I like chocolate ice cream better than vanilla. Is that right? No, it's not right. It's not objectively right. Well, I mean, I think it is. If you like vanilla, you're wrong, but you know what I mean? That's just a preference. Some people like strawberries over cherries, whatever. If you can tell, I've got a food issue, okay? I'm just throwing that out there. But preferences are just what we like. A, a principle, it's, it's a fundamental truth or a proposition that serves as the foundational system for a belief or behavior. This is foundational belief. So let me just help you. In your marriage, there are things that you fight over that are not really that big a deal. It's a preference and not a principle. Let, let me give you an example. Uh, we have a toilet paper issue at our house. I'm an over person. My wife is an under person. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? My daughters in their bathroom, they're neither. I don't know how this works. So I will change the toilet paper, put a fresh roll on there, and a week later the roll is empty and they've just started another roll, but they don't put it on. Does that make sense? A couple of weeks later, I've got two empty rolls. One is on there, one is sitting, and then we've got another roll started. That's enough to drive a man insane. I'm just saying. Drives me crazy. And just for the record, uh, the U.S. Patent Office, they, they, not too long ago, they showed pictures of the original patent that shows the paper over. So I'm just saying. My wife is a crazy person in this way. She... Uh, she loves anarchy, apparently, because she squeezes the toothpaste tube from the middle. Do we have any other people who don't love Jesus? Anybody? No? <laughs> so she squeezes it from the middle like an insane person. Everyone knows what you do is you take it and you run it on the edge of the counter and it squeezes it all. It just makes sense. It's cleaner. You get all the toothpaste, but my wife is a middle grabber and she will mess up my tube. That's, that's a preference. Have you ever had to redo the dishwasher after somebody loaded it? Oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? My kids, that's part of their chores, and I'll, I'll open the dishwasher, and, like, with trembling hands, I'll be like, oh, gosh, like, oh, it's all wrong. There's half as many things in here as could be in here, and I have to resist the urge to redo the dishwasher, right? It's like, okay, okay, okay. I'm just, why? Because all these things are preferences. These are just things that I like. It doesn't matter about anything. I'm not going to fight with my wife or the toothpaste tube. It is 
not a big deal. But what I've had to do is prioritize principles over preferences. So I mentioned earlier, principles in our house, um, the, the three principles that we talk a lot about are um, healthy relationships, wise choices, and others first. So we want to be selfless in how we live. We want to prioritize the other person over ourselves in, in relationships. Um, we want to make wise choices, not just saying, am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to hell if I do this? But say, hey, is this good for where I want to be in the future? Is this, is this going to help me get to where God wants me to be? Uh, and then, of course, healthy relationships. So everything we do as far as correction can usually be tied back to one of these three issues. Uh, and we talk about these principles regularly. We pray over these things regularly. These are the things that we will fight over, that we'll say, man, this is important, this is valuable, this is foundational. Toothpaste tubes, not as much. But we have to be conscientious about these things. We have to understand that there are preferences and principles. There's a big difference. In our church, can I just get in your business for a minute? I don't care if I can or not. I got the mic, so I'm going to. Uh, There's a passage in Proverbs 14, 4. It says, where there are no no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. And whether you realize this or not, what this is talking about is preferences and principles. So so what the the writer of Proverbs is saying here is, um, hey, you can have a clean stable. Who likes clean stuff? Don't you like clean stuff? I like my house to be clean. That's, That's nice. So he says, you can have a clean barn. But if you have a clean barn, it probably means there's an absence of ox, right? Because they're not making a mess in your barn. So if you've got the ox, you're going to have a mess. But if you have a clean barn, there will be no harvest. So what you have here is you have to make a choice. That's what it's saying. So for us in our church, uh, we made a decision. I, I think it's similar here at South Point. We don't sing hymns at our church. And if we sing hymns, we don't sing them like we used to when I was a kid. I grew up singing hymns. When my, ba- my babies were little, when they were little, I would sing hymns over them, okay? My girls still know all the verses of in the garden because I would sing them to them when they were children. I like hymns. I have no problem with hymns, but that is a preference. And so when there's people in our church that go, why don't we sing more hymns? I go, well, listen, hymns are great. But there's a principle at work. We believe in, in reaching lost people. We want lost people to get saved at our church on a Sunday. And so we understand that in order to reach lost people, we have to target young people. Primarily, churches statistically that reach the most lost people are reaching high school students. So we're going to reach high school students. We want our services on Sunday to be great. We want our high school students to come in and love it. Because if they do, that means lost people are probably going to love it. And so that principle is is more important to us than the preference. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean the preference is bad. It means there's something that's more important. And so for us, we make that decision. I know for me personally, I've got three services on the weekend. I don't love preaching three times. My preference would be to have a service, one, and that would be all. I would be happy with that. But, but what would happen? Well, we'd have to build a new auditorium. That would take about $8 million. It would put us in debt long-term, right? And so for me, I go, man, the principle is I want to win as many people as I can. I want to keep the debt really low. And so the preference of, man, I'd I'd rather preach once. It doesn't matter because the principle takes priority. Does that make sense to anybody? So there's application here throughout your relationships. Principles over preferences. The third thing, I want you to have realistic expectations. If you've seen the movie Jerry Maguire... There's a scene at the end of the movie, and it's old. If I'm spoiling this for you, it's your fault. It's an old movie, okay? 
At the end of the movie, he comes into this room and he's facing this woman and he says, you complete me. And hearts melt and we go, oh, I want to love like that, right? Oh, and what it's doing is creating unrealistic expectations because we want someone who complete us, but the truth is no one can complete us. If you're single and you're looking for a relationship that will complete you, you are going to be looking a long, long, long time because it will not happen. If you're married and your marriage is in distress because you feel like they're not doing their job and the other, your spouse feels like you're not doing your job and you're not completing each other, I need you to rearrange your expectations because they're all wrong. They cannot complete you. They're incapable of completing you. Jesus Christ is the only one capable of completing us. That's it. And so what we have to do is adjust our expectations. Uh, we have to understand that so many times in our marriage and dating relationships, we put unrealistic expectations on the people we're in a relationship with, even with our kids. I want us to be careful because sometimes I was not the best athlete in the world. And it's easy for those of us that are like me to start putting expectations on our kids and, hey, I need you to succeed where I didn't succeed. And I wouldn't say that, but we start putting pressure on our kids and we expect them to excel and I can't pay for college because I'm a pastor, so I'm going to need you to get a baseball scholarship, right? I'm going to need you to get a... And so we start putting these expectations that can never be met. And so what we have to do is understand what realistic expectations are. In, in our growth track, uh, one of the things I tell people in week one is I, I say, I'll make you two promises. The first promise is this. If you stick around this church long enough, you're going to be disappointed. And the reason I know that is because I'm a human being and our church is full of human beings. So at some point, something's going to happen that you're going to be upset about. It will. I promise. The second promise I'm going to make you is if you're willing to, we're going to walk it out together in love. We're going to fix this. If there's an issue or there's a problem, there's a complaint, there's conflict, we're going to walk it out together. Because there's nothing wrong with conflict. Conflict can be a good thing. It can be a healthy thing. And we'll talk about that in just a member, in just a moment. But this is what we tell people who are interested in membership. So we want you to understand people can't be perfect all the time. And we want our church to extend as much grace as they would like to receive. We love to receive grace, don't we? Oh, sorry, boss. I was late, right? Sorry, I messed up. Would you forgive me? But then when somebody wrongs us, we're like, justice, right? The guillotine for them. See, it's almost as if God wants us to treat people like we've been treated by him. Because we've, ex we've received grace that we did not deserve. And what he wants us to do is extend grace that others don't deserve as well. So one of the things that makes that easier is for us to have realistic expectations. The fourth thing, this is the last one, is to apply biblical conflict resolutions to our life. Uh, so many times in churches specifically, um, People get sideways and leave, and there's never an opportunity to resolve conflict. Because conflict's not a bad thing. It can be a really good thing if it's handled in a healthy way. Um, it has to be handled with truth and love. Jesus was a master at this. He would speak truth. He never lied to anyone. He spoke truth in love. Sometimes uh, he, he would speak truth in love, and it looked a little mean when he was talking to Pharisees. But did you notice when he... When he the, the woman was uh, caught in the act of adultery and he went to her. He didn't lie to her and go, you know what? You are you're perfect just the way you are. Don't worry about that sin in your life, right? The woman at the well that he met, he wasn't like, you know what? 
I know that you're living with a guy that's not your husband, and I know you've been married, you know, before. Well, let's not worry about that. He, he confronted it, but he confronted it in love, right? He did it in a gentle way that, that brought her to reconciliation or repentance. Um, and this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to love people well and bring reconciliation. In Matthew 18, it says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Did you hear that part? Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that, ha- that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as you, to you a Gentile or tax collector. And that doesn't mean you cast them out and go, they're terrible because they're Gentiles and tax collectors. Did you see how Jesus treated tax collectors? He loved them to repentance. He was good to them. So what it's saying is uh, there's a system by which we resolve our conflict. And the first step is to take your conflict to that person and go, you might not even realize you hurt me, but you hurt me. Did, Did you know you said this? And this is how I felt when you said that. Can we talk about it? And that is hard to do, but this is the biblical way to resolve conflict. Um, we don't go to social media and talk anonymously. There's a church that I attend that I'm not going to name which church, but everybody knows which church. Don't you hate it when your spouse, that's not the right way to do that. Go to your spouse and say, would you stop doing that? It's driving me crazy. Can we talk about this, right? So we work conflict out in a healthy way. Um, have you ever been around someone who had a sunburn? that you didn't know it. Maybe you came to church and you gave somebody a hug and they go, ah, ah. Go, what? They go, I got a sunburn. You're like, you got a shirt on. How was I supposed to know, right? <laughs> Maybe the new rule is if you got a sunburn, just no shirt, you just walk in, right? Like, got a sunburn, stay away, people. <laughs> but you can't tell, can you? So you go up, it's an innocent, harmless act to you, but then they respond that way because there's a sunburn. And I've realized so many times that, that people in our church, people in your workplace, sometimes people in your home have a sunburn on their soul that you don't even recognize. And you come up alongside them and you go, hey, how you doing? And they go, oh, what are you doing? Right? And you're like, well, what are you mad at me for? It's an innocent act. And they look at you and go, why are you hurting me? What they don't recognize is they were already hurt. And you just touched a spot that was sensitive. And so what we have to do is goes back to that grace thing. We extend a lot of grace and go, you know what? They, they lashed out at me, but there's got to be something going on. Maybe there's a sunburn there that I don't recognize. And so I'm going to extend grace. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to believe that, that that's not who they really are, and we're going to work this thing out together. You might say, Mel, you're talking about if, if you've got a fence against someone. I don't have a fence against anybody because I'm too strong for that. Nobody can hurt me. That's fine. Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew 5? He said this, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and then remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and give your gift of the offering. So what it's saying is even if you know someone else has something against you, it's your responsibility as a mature believer to go to them and go, hey, I know that you're upset with me. I'm not really sure what it's about, but can we talk about it? See, aren't you excited about this message? I knew you would love this portion, right? God is calling us to have healthy relationships. And part of healthy relationships is walking through conflict in a biblical way that brings glory to God. Matthew 18 says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall also be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything 
they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. What it's talking about here is the power of unity. It's talking about us coming together. It's talking about healthy relationships. It's saying, hey, two or three people can do amazing things if they'll just be unified, if they'll just love each other well. See, healthy relationships pave the way for the Holy Spirit to operate. We saw earlier in Acts 2, all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Why? Because of this, this homothumadon that was at work with them. In Acts 2, 47, it says, And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Don't we want to be a church that we see people coming to know Jesus? Don't we want to see it be a church that we see supernatural things happening, marriages being restored, lives being changed? How does that happen? It happens when we endeavor to have healthy relationships together. When we say, you know what, I'm not going to let offense keep me from being in relationship with you. We're going to work this thing out. You know what, we're going to be unified even though we're not uniform. We're not the same people. We think differently. We can love each other anyway. Anyway, God begins to work. God does incredible things in our church, in your home, in your workplace, if we simply endeavor to have healthy relationships. I started with this. I want to close with this. I want you to think about, when I talked about this earlier, you thought about someone. If I'm in conflict with a child of God, I'm in conflict with God. The relationships that I have with people around me impact and affect my relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you recognize you're in conflict with somebody. You don't want to go and have a conversation with them, but the Holy Spirit is pushing on that soft spot and you know you need to. I'm telling you today, your next step from this message is to to pray about it and go, okay, God, what would you have me do? I know I need to have this conversation. What do you need me to do? Because I want my relationship with you to be right. So I want to get my relationships with the people around me right. Maybe you're here today and you know your relationship with God is not right. And that's impacting the relationships around you. That's your next step. Get, get your relationship with God right. Say, God, I need to prioritize you. I need to put you in your right place so that you can bring health to the relationships around me as well. Let me pray over you. Lord, I love you so much. And I'm so grateful for the people in this room that are listening to this. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would plant the seed deep in good soil, that it would return a harvest. So God, I pray right now for the people that, that are struggling in the relationships around them. Lord, maybe it's a conflict in a marriage. God, I pray that you'd bring health there. And Lord, it might not be easy. It might be hard work, but God, I pray that you'd unite husbands and wives in this room. God, I pray for, for families that are in conflict, maybe between a father and children or a mom and kids. God, I pray that you bring unity to homes. Lord, I pray for people that, that dread going to work on Monday mornings because of the conflict in their workplace. God, I pray that you'd use the people in this room to bring unity and health to relationships, even in workplaces. But God, more than anything else, I pray right now for unity and health in this body, in this church, that God, we would be one. Lord, your prayer was make them one as we are one. Lord, in the same way that you and God are one, Lord, make us your body, your people one. Give us one mind with one purpose and let us walk hand in hand in unity because we're doing what you want us to do. So Lord, have your way among us. Be glorified here at South Point Church and we'll give you the glory for it. In your name we pray. Amen.